Okay, so, great. Uh, just be aware of that. So let me see. There's a couple more things. Uh, just got cursing. Me. Okay. What's that? Yes. Cursing is okay. Yeah, or yeah. Any, cursing. To... Cursing is fine. We. I don't. I don't predict it, but you never know. Yeah. It's sort of like a, a habit sometimes too. I might call you a potty mouth, but it's allowed. Okay. Right on. <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, entertainment broadcast correspondent for the radio program Dinner with the Dead Sea, where I report on news related to the members of the band The Dead Sea. <laughs> How's, uh, what's uh, Bruce Russell up to these days? Is his uh, daughter Olive still filming, making documentaries about him? You know, I actually prepared a short update if you want that. <laughs> I do. I'm sure our listeners want to hear about this obscure New Zealand noise rock band. <laughs> All right. Well, as everyone knows by now, they had songs on both the Barbie and Oppenheimer soundtracks. Uh, it's been about three years since the last full length release. So my guess is they're working on a new album. Bruce Russell and Michael, Michael Morley both have new solo and collab albums out this year. And Robbie Yates continues to be the only band member without his own Wikipedia page. Aw. They just did some shows, too. They did some shows in London. Ooh. Hot update. <laughs> Extra exclusive. <laughs> Got a juicy exclusive. The way we like it here on I'd Buy That for a Dollar. I am also a co-host on I'd Buy That for a Dollar by the name of Jeremy Ruggles. But I should tell you my real name is Mark Benton. Is your name, your name's Mark Benton? Yeah. How did you get to Jeremy Ruggles? I, I was just cycling through names until one of them caught on, and this one seemed to catch on with the podcast, so. Was it, was one Mark Ben and the other Mark Tun, and then you just combine <laughs> them together? Yes. How'd you know? <laughs> uh, just a hunch. I am co-host Peter Cook, and I just want to say, it's so nice coming home to you fellows on the podcast. Aw. I had more to that. I was going to say what the word, or Lord, we don't need another reference to what the world needs now is love, but you guys didn't do that. So I just went right to the reference to the song in this album. Mm, I thought about it and uh, same thing. I want to stay away from it. I have the disadvantage of going third, so you guys uh, yeah. can often beat me to the punch on those low hanging fruits. Ooh. I should start using that for head games. Oh, no. Why? <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> I did this to myself. And joining us today here on I'd Buy That for a Dollar is a musician and writer living in Michigan who's been making music for an estimated million years now. Welcome, Fred Thomas. Thanks for having me. Fred, why don't you tell our listeners, in, in Michigan, you're well known for all the bands you've been in, but, and, and they, they have been on national and beyond recognition, but, but why don't you just uh, tell a little bit about your background to our listeners? Well, definitely more 
of a thing in Michigan just because I've lived here my entire life mostly and I've mostly played shows in Michigan, but I started making music in the early 90s and just kind of didn't stop. And it's sort of been a thing where I've been doing the same thing in a different version or with a different name ever since I was a teenager. And some people have liked it, uh, others have not. And here we are today <laughs> talking about Jackie DeShannon because uh, I, just, I can't stop making music. I write about music. I interviewed Michael Morley for my zine a couple of years ago. So it's really interesting that we start talking about, you know, I'm not sure if it's completely fictitious Dead Sea uh, <laughs> uh, television crossover thing, but like I, I love the Dead Sea so much. Um, and, but I also love Jackie DeShannon. I also love a, a bunch of different stuff and I, I kind of can't contain my cross-pollinating care for all the different types of music that I like. So that's the kind of thing that we're, uh, we're going for on the show, you know? For sure. Yeah, we can go in so many different directions in any given episode, but we are going to try to keep our lens focused on Jackie DeShannon. For the most part, we'll probably end up branching out here and there. What album did you bring to focus on her? 1970s to be free yes i don't don't know if this was her like 10th or 15th record she had so many records and this was the one that fit the criteria for the show because it's still it's hard to find records that go for a dollar or or whatnot but a lot of her, you can find pretty much every jackie DeShannon record for a dollar if you look hard enough because they made many of them and they're not all on discogs but uh this one's the one that still rel you can pretty much only get for a dollar yeah, and this one came hot on the heels of one of her big selling records, and we can get in more. We can get more into that as we go along. But how about we start with a song? Where did you want to start, Fred? Probably one of the first singles, one of the, the songs early in the record. Uh, what was your day like? Yes, that is side A, track two. What was your day like? What was your day like? I woke up when the sunlight came into my room The right kind of weather Just for us to take the afternoon and get lost together Nothing better I had an orange and coffee A little past nine And this morning I knew Everything about the day was fine I did just what I wanted to What was your day like? Found myself a new kind of looking glass. Oh, what was your day like? I ran into a friend out of the past. I thought about the things we've done the two of us 
I could see it so clear As I stood there waiting for the bus I was wishing you were near But you're not here I saw a film and bought a book or two In the village I just looked around Then I went to... One thing that I found more striking on repeated listens of this album is just how good the string arrangements are. They really elevate the song every time they come in and they're not just you know something kind of light in the background to make make the song a little more sugary sweet like it was often used in the early 70s in pop songwriting it's like it adds tension and emotional weight when it comes in and really plays off the song in a lot of interesting ways and i think that song is a great example of the string arrangements yeah there's a really good reason for why the strings are top notch. Oh. The arranger, yeah, the arranger on this album is a person named Rene Hall. He was an American guitarist and arranger and a major behind the scenes figure in early rock and roll and soul. He was the guitarist and or arranger on groundbreaking tracks from Sam Cooke, Richie Valens, and Marvin Gaye to name just a few. Like big songs from those artists. Yeah, I was just scrolling through his catalog as a ranger. Yeah, the Sam Cooke stuff is really interesting a few years before this. And then he did the arrangements on Bobby Womack's Communication a year after this record. Yep. And then in 73, Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of, you know, he said, major Sam Cooke songs that everyone knows. So yeah, he, Renee Hall, just an unsung hero of music. So that explains the lush, perfect strings. If I had to think of a descriptor for that track, words like pastoral or breezy come to mind. Mm -hmm. Well, just so relaxed and nonchalant, like the whole song is about a list of things that she did on her day. You know what I mean? It's like, it's it's very literate. <laughs> it's like, she's just literally speaking about what happened in the day and it's all very pleasant and joyful and the music reflects all of those joyful things it seems very unburdened yeah to me though the strings kind of add just a touch of sadness to it i'm kind of reminded of our frank sinatra watertown where he has this song where he's like singing about a list of things similar to this and it seems boring but like there's an implied sadness underneath it that they can't talk about maybe i'm reading into this one a little too much but no no i can see that for sure there's definitely a bitter sweetness because you're sort of like okay are, are you sure your day was that good yeah why would you why would you just like is there anything else you want to talk about <laughs> complacent on we speaking of being literate there's my vocab builder for the day <laughs> okay it's like i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah fred this is a great find how did Jackie DeShannon come on your radar? I've known her since I was a teenager and got the Forrest Gump soundtrack and what the world needs now is love was on there. And really beyond that knew little about her. Right. I, you know, I missed that song consciously. I'm sure I heard it on the Forrest Gump soundtrack and in every Kmart I was ever in for most of my childhood. But when I really consciously found out about Jackie DeShannon, she had a song called Every Time That You Walk In The Room, early single of hers, I think maybe like 1963 or 1964, and it's led by this like just ripping 12-string guitar lead. 
my music in the early 2000s was very much informed by 60s pop, like the Beach Boys and the Birds. So I was trying to find more and more obscure stuff, like girl group sounds. I had a band called Saturday Looks Good to Me. And our earliest stuff was just kind of a direct ripoff of Motown and the Beach Boys and early Rolling Stones. But I was looking for more stuff like early Jackie DeShannon records were to me. And, and when I heard her, her singing voice was really kind of like, it struck me immediately because I was like, oh, who is this? Like there's there's really like a, a, the bittersweetness that you talk about, that sort of like hidden melancholy, even in her love songs, even in the songs that seemed to be on their surface very happy. That was what I was going for. Mm -hmm. I loved that shit. I, I wanted to embody that. So when I heard her, her song every time you walk in the room i was like okay who is this and and i found out she had just dozens of records had written lots of songs for a lot of people had a really pretty rich history in the music industry since she was a child um and i i don't know if there's any records by her that i don't like but um but this one is, is definitely a, a strong one yeah yeah and this one seems to be a bit critically overlooked from just poking around online and it, it did follow up her very majorly successful album put a little love in your heart that had that song that title track on it which is her biggest hit uh, it, even though what the world needs now is love which is actually a burt Bacharach hal david song but that's jackie DeShannon's signature song but put a little love in your heart is actually her biggest hit and it's one that she penned herself yeah, and I think that that record came out the same year as To Be Free, and she had two or three records in 1969 and a couple records in 1971, so she might have just been overdoing it a little bit. <laughs> Saturating the market. Sure. Yeah, they were cranking them out, but it seems that a lot of attention to detail was still put into them, like they don't feel tossed off. No, and, and the thing that I always think about with this record in particular is that the record I would have loved to have talked about on the show was a record of hers from 1969 called Laurel Canyon. And I didn't choose that one because that's now like a $20, $30 record. You can't really find it in the dollar bins anymore. And the reason that is, is it was sort of her foray into hippie and, you know, it's called Laurel Canyon. She's trying to go for sort of like a free love you know, she covers the band on that record and she does songs about like countercultural stuff. And it, it's really just fascinating because you could tell she was trying something on and it didn't really work commercially. So she's like, ah, oh, fuck it. I'm going to go back to like these show tunes. But the same year, Dusty Springfield's Dusty in Memphis came out, which was maybe like a little bit more of a sophisticated yet AM radio friendly reading of the like soul pop, you know, lush strings, orchestrated, mellow, vibe that we we get a lot of on to be free yeah yeah and it's it's worth mentioning that she penned the majority of the songs on this record herself along with her writing partner jimmy holiday and her brother randy myers her, her birth name is sharon lee myers and jackie DeShannon is a stage name she was when she was starting out she was apparently trying out different names she was jackie d and Jackie Shannon, and then just combine them. That's that's right, correct? <laughs> yes, correct. Yeah, and she all she also wanted to call herself Jackie because it was a she had a voice that could kind of pass for male or masculine or femme voice, and she's like, well, 
just let the listeners decide for themselves if they're listening to which gender they're listening to. Uh, so that was another part of her stage name choice. Interesting. Yeah, the uh, Jimmy Holiday, he was a Mississippi-born, Iowa-raised soul singer. He'd been slugging it out and the soul circuit for over a decade when he co-wrote Put a Little Love in Your Heart with Jackie and her younger brother, Randy Myers. And he, he, yeah, he just had a lot more success as a writer than he ever did as an artist. And I, yeah, I noticed it, or I don't know how that partnership came about and how long it lasted. It seems like they were really pushing it on this record because they had had so much success with the previous album, with the Put a Little Love in Your Heart song. I don't know if you had any further insight into that relationship. There wasn't a lot about it that I could find. You know, it's interesting. I'm a huge fan of Jackie DeShannon, but I didn't get to the point where I really knew much more about her life than some little bits of trivia. So so a lot of her relationships, a lot of her early on in career, later in the career, like it's a little bit mysterious to me. So I don't know anything more about that relationship, nor do I know like, how she sort of transitioned into being a songwriter for other artists because she had, you know, other artists had big hits with her songs later. And she's still around. She's still making music. Um, I think it was like maybe 2011 is the last time she put out a record of new original songs, lots of, you know, compilations and greatest hits and rarities sort of things. But, but I think she just started when she was very, very young and kept going. So I, I, I couldn't keep track of it all, but I just... I love this record in particular. Well, how about we get to another song before we move along here? What did we have next? Next is It's So Nice. All right, so It's So Nice, side B, track one. It goes on and on and never seems to change Life on the road is the people we meet And each one is like a different street There's so much to see and so many things to be But whatever you do, don't forget about me, come on Look out your window, it won't be long 
Okay, it's so nice. Uh, it was kind of nice, actually. It was like it was going with the same sort of pleasant vibe that some of the other songs on this record have, but more of like a a soul thing, at least in the groove. And that kind of like, I don't know if it was an organ or a guitar. It's one of those things that I love so much about 60s pop is where there's a melody introduced and you're like, not exactly sure what the instrument is that's playing it. That sort of twinkly, you know, carefree sound that started the song out. Really fluffy, but man, what a good song. The third and final single from this record. Yeah, and that was written by Irvin Hunt and Sam Russell, who were the producers of the album. So it's a little different feel from a lot of the others that are written by Jackie and Jimmy and Randy. And possibly the type of thing, if the producers wrote it, they're like, okay, we need three more songs. Uh, here's, a, here's the single. The, you know, we, we need something that's going to capitalize on whatever trend is happening on, in March of 1970 or whenever the record came out. So I, I could see something like that going down in the studio as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah, well, Jackie, she... Yeah, I had no sense of her just going back to the general... I don't know what the general public view of her is just knowing the few songs that I did by her prior to you suggesting this album, I thought of her as, I'll admit, like a, a lightweight pop artist who performed other people's songs. I had no idea what a powerhouse songwriter she was. And just the her whole uh, background is really interesting that she just has never quite gotten the respect that she deserves in that field of so as a songwriter. Absolutely not. And, and as a songwriter, but also it, the details of her career are pretty staggering. Uh, and I'm sure like, so she has like some, some times where she was playing back rack songs and doing stuff that kind of became the embodiment of elevator music in the early seventies. But before that, she toured with the Beatles and she wrote songs on the earliest bird stuff and the birds, were just like, she opened a lot of doors for the birds. So she was kind of there in the start of, you know, not the start of rock and roll, but like British invasion and sort of like really kind of like a tide change in rock and roll. She was there, she was on the scene, she was doing stuff. She was a, uh, an artist that people who were making eternal music were looking at and thinking about as an eternal musician. Yeah, apparently she, has, to this day, friendships with the surviving Beatles, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr, and uses that to her advantage as a contributing entertainment correspondent for Breakfast with the Beatles on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. She's been doing that since 2009. Wow, that I did not know. That's that's great. Good for her. <laughs> She's yes. still kind of connected to the, the Beatlemania. And connected to uh, my job as the you know Dead Sea correspondent, obviously. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I saw she, she'll tell anecdotes from her days touring, opening for the Beatles, like playing Monopoly against George Harrison, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> she was a big Monopoly fan, but she would kind of lose her concentration playing against George and he would usually win. <laughs> Amazing. Because <laughs> she's playing against a Beatle. That's just the kind of deep dive research that I needed in this episode. <laughs> That's what we're here for. You know, I got to say, though, uh, 
So I love this album, and Jackie DeShannon was, for the most part, off my radar in similar fashion to what we've mentioned so far. And after playing this album a few times over the past week, I went through and listened to bits of her other catalog to see if this was a one-off or what, you know, like, is there more good albums out there? And like Fred said, pretty much everything I heard was good. But not only that, I just today on the way home from work, re-listened to her two big hits, What the World needs now is love and put a little love in your heart and i always had the impression that those are just you know the height of early 70s cheesy saccharine songs that we talked about but listening to them with fresh ears and especially after loving this record those songs are not that like cheesy watered down crap that i had in my head and everybody thinks of them as put a little love in your heart is very funky it's an excellent groove to it and interesting arrangements what the world needs now she has kind of an interesting edge to the way that she sings it and the context of like her catalog and everything it it makes so much more sense and those songs are like more interesting to me now after listening through this that's incredible i love that i feel yeah I, i i feel like it's really easy to write stuff off that you've heard a lot and just not even listen to it, Mm -hmm. not even actually like actively hear it because we don't have the capacity to take everything in (laughs) that's, that's thrown at us. But I know exactly what you're talking about. It's such a cool rediscovery of things that have never left. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised checking out her early work, like the song you mentioned, when you walk in the room, I listened to that knowing that Bruce Springsteen liked to perform that one he did in the 70s and he has in more recent years as well and i listened to it and i could hear like some proto boss coming out of her (laughs) (laughs) incredible yeah no i I definitely it's like she kind of was one of those uh deep cuts forever still is yeah just uh not overlooked because she had a huge career and and continues to and and did really really well but it's a little bit baffling that she wasn't a bigger star. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really have an explanation for why she wasn't at say dusty Springfield level other than, yeah, maybe oversaturation of albums on the market that that can be a thing. And maybe the marketing of it generally, because my experience with her is just seeing her records in dollar bins flipping right past them thinking, assuming that they are I didn't even like hear it to think that it's like pop covers or whatever and then when I did listen to this album I still thought it was all like covers of super popular songs which I think actually speaks to her writing because only three songs on this album are covers and all the rest are her songs and they fit right in as in my mind as like extremely popular songs yeah so it's a, a testament to her strength as a songwriter yeah I, I, you're, you're definitely onto something about the marketing because the records all do look a little bit anonymous it's probably in a time when there was somebody's full-time salary job to make 500 record covers a week that you know the artist had <laughs> nothing to do with and another thing about her lack of popularity or not really breaking through on a a huge level sometimes the world only has space for one and they might have had like dusty springfield might have been the only one that they needed in 1969 1970 and, and another one might have been you know it, no matter if she had done it earlier or if 
it was different or better in some ways or just like more unique or, or as valuable, uh, sometimes the collective consciousness just doesn't have the space. Yeah. You already got a Carol King record. Why do you need a Jackie DeShannon record? You know, yeah, that exactly. kind of thing. Also, this album cover, I do like it, but you could replace the title and artist on it and it could just be like a reader's digest mellow moods comp like it's the most oh, generic totally. looking thing yeah she's Absolutely. standing in the the grassy hills holding flowers on the front and then she's got that same bouquet laying in the grass on the back <laughs> <laughs> yeah well we can move right along into the next selection which is perhaps my favorite song it's up there mediterranean sky it's a good one and it's another one written by that songwriting team of jackie deshan and jimmy holiday and her brother randy myers so we'll go ahead give that one a listen we're talking side a track five <laughs> stay right by you and I'm gonna try to I see the colors you're giving and I know that I'm living I've found a way to be happy and feeling good it's nice to be where I can do what I know that I should that day we got together I've been loving you since then Will you be there forever? I'm alive, but tomorrow will soon arrive. And I can't get you out of my mind. Oh, baby, I sure hate to leave you behind. So let your sunlight shine on me. Won't you let your sunlight shine on me? Why don't you let Shine on me, why don't you let it shine on me? Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine on me. Mediterranean sky, what is it you do? You're easy to turn to, and wherever I go, I want you to know. I'll paint a picture designed to reveal your face When I close my eyes I can see you in five or six places But while I'm here with you There's a feeling so much better Something's coming through I'm alive But tomorrow Yeah, that one hits. That is, it's just such a big full wall of sound love that one and it's easy to continue the soul comparisons it's got the funky drums it's got the nice soul horn arrangements on there but the thing i kept thinking about with this album is there's a lot of tracks that one included that are really just a steel guitar away from being a country song oh yeah i, I really wonder if she had much crossover with country fans at this point because it kind of seems obvious i mean she could have been out there with like dolly parton Loretta Lynn, like it would have fit right in. Do you know where she's originally from? Hmm. Kentucky. Oh, uh, it all comes together I, now. I, I think that's just ingrained in her. She can't get away from it. Yeah, especially her phrasing on that song. It's country inflections for sure. Oh, uh, 
Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we talked about the arranger, Renee Hall. But do you guys want to hear a little bit about the other players on this record? Oh, do Mm -hmm. I want that list? (laughs) I got that list for you. Well, this was recorded at Sunset Sound in Hollywood. So as you can imagine, it's a lot of heavy hitters. On the bass, that thumping bass we just heard, Brian Garofalo. He's a Canadian musician, and this is actually one of his early bass credits. He'd go on to work with B.B. King, Dory Previn, Joan Armitrading, America. He appeared on a lot of Eagles members' solo records as well. On drums, we've talked about this guy before, Russ Kunkel, an American drummer, worked with Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young in many of their various solo and collaboration albums. He was on Joni Mitchell, Blue, and For the Roses. He came up briefly on that episode that we did where we covered Joni Mitchell's For the Roses with Bob Bucko Jr. He's on a ton of Jackson Brown, James Taylor, Linda Ronstadt, and Carly Simon albums. Warren Zevon, another one of those players where the list just goes on and on. Have a few guitarists on here. Actually, Jackie DeShannon is one of them, but we also have Danny Korchmar, who also worked with a lot of the people we just mentioned, but more importantly, wrote the music for Cheech and Chong's film Up in Smoke and had a cameo in This is Spinal Tap as Ronnie Pudding, the Spinal Tap bass player in their early years in the Gimme Some Money song that you see them doing in there. Also on guitar, Dick Rosmini, best known for his role in the American Folk Revival Act of the 1960s. And at one time, he was considered the best 12-string guitar player in the world. Interestingly, he was on Van Dyke Park's Song Cycle album and was on Phil Oak's Greatest Hits, which we is not really a Greatest Hits album. We previously talked about that one early on on the podcast, and that was produced by Van Dyke Parks. So that makes sense. One more guitarist, Mike Deasy, rock and jazz guitarist, member of the Wrecking Crew. No surprise there. So he was on Pet Sounds, a lot of film soundtracks like The Graduate, Dirty Harry, and Bullet. In 1969, he was invited by Bird's producer Terry Melcher to work with newly discovered singer-songwriter Charles Manson. And Mike Deasy left Manson's home after three days in a state of drug-fueled paranoia. So that worked out well. Wow. So one degree of separation between Jackie DeShannon and Charles Manson, but also Jackie DeShannon and Spinal Tap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we've done our work here. Yeah, wow. (laughs) One more I'll mention, well, actually, one more player. I'll mention some backing vocalists. On saxophone, Jerry Jumonville. He worked with Rod Stewart, the Doobie Brothers, Ray Charles, and James Brown. And on backing vocals, we have Clyde King and Vanetta Fields. Interestingly, they they usually appear with Shirley Matthews. Shirley is not present on this record. And said it's actually Jackie DeShannon's would be her future husband, Randy Edelman. Uh, She would marry him in 1976. He's also on backing vocals on this record. But Clyde King and Vanetta Fields, along with Shirley Matthews, they worked with all kinds of big names like the Rolling Stones, B.B. King, Bob Dylan, Linda Ronstadt, Joe Cocker, and Steely Dan, to name just a few. They've been on records that we've talked about before. So those are some of the players making this sound big 
and huge. <laughs> yeah, it clearly has that sort of, I don't want to call it a Hollywood sound, but Wrecking Crew people are on there and it sounds like it was made quickly in a studio with pop radio in mind for sure. Yeah, and in watching interviews with Jackie, I didn't get the sense that she ever really got into producing artists, but she's really into the production process. She really enjoys that part of the craft. And I think it, you know, I, I could see that a, an alternate universe where she got went more in that direction, potentially even, you know, she, she has the songwriting chops. Oh, so yeah, for I'm sure. I'm kind of surprised that, that that didn't ever happen, that she maybe started overseeing others' work, at least not from what I could tell. Well, another peer of hers was Evie Sands, who was sort of not exactly the same trajectory, but, you know, had a couple hits here and there, was in the game for a really, really long time, made records into the 80s, start of the 90s, is still doing it. She went in more of a, a production way, but like, they're really pretty like birds of a feather in a way. Um, kind of obscure, Evie Sands records, can't find them for a dollar anymore, but you could not too long ago. And um, yeah, just like sort of underappreciated, not quite overlooked, but it, it, that more of the production side of things where in the 80s, she was like, well, I'm not making any money trying to be a pop singer. I'll just try to hone my production. And, and she's still an amazing producer, amazing guitar player. Yeah, it's, it's endless. Yeah, and that's the 80s seems to be when Jackie's career as a, popular musician really it seems to decline or she just seems to stop really working regularly at that point so yeah it's it's kind of a wonder it, it's partially she did get married to randy edelman in 1976 and their son was born in 1978 so very likely she was raising raised, a kid yeah raising a kid at that point so and she'd already put out enough albums for the next like three decades <laughs> <laughs> very true very true uh, the the main song that she had a hit as a songwriter with was uh, Betty Davis Eyes that Kim Carnes recorded, uh, but but Jackie DeShannon wrote that song and it was on one of her records. I think in the late seventies, maybe the early eighties. But I think there are others that she had other artists had minor hits with, but that was definitely a big one where it's like, oh wow, this there's probably some royalties that are gonna keep that kid in diapers for a little while. <laughs> yeah, just a short list of artists who have recorded Jackie DeShannon songs includes, we, we mentioned Bruce Springsteen, Ella Fitzgerald, the Isley Brothers, Jim Croce, Steppenwolf, the Righteous Brothers, Mahalia Jackson, Cher, the Carpenters, and Rita Coolidge. There you go. Just a few. Yeah. Sean, do you yeah. happen to have another list for us? I sure do. The first one is going to come as no surprise. We've mentioned this artist several times on the episode, and I've recommended it before, but Dusty Springfield's A Brand New Me from 1970, the one that gets overshadowed by Dusty in Memphis, but is still an excellent record and one that we will certainly talk about at length at some point. Yeah, you introduced me to that one. It's a great one. It really is. Next up is a record we have talked about that is definitely coming from a different angle and has some influences that are not present here but it's a band branching into the kind of more u.s and laurel canyon sound sergio mendez and brazil 66 stillness also from 1970 which is partly why i picked it and uh the last selection melanie candles in the rain from 1970 
Great record. Wow. Three from 1970. Well done, Sean. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Melanie's a, a great comparison as well. Yeah, I was hearing a little bit of Melanie and a little bit of Karen Carpenter at times with the like really breathy kind of leads that Jackie was doing. Oh, yeah. I could see that. I know Karen Carpenter was said to have about the quietest singing voice in history. <laughs> Without a microphone, it was very quiet when she sang. Mm. Do you know what record the Carpenters put out in 1970? Close to you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, previously talked about on I'd Buy That for a Dollar. <laughs> Great record. Very cool, Sean. Thank you so much for giving our listeners some other things to keep an eye out for in the bins. Fred, we are going to turn the spotlight on you and ask if you have any information on where people can find you or what things you're up to, any of that. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm leaving tomorrow for a tour that will be done by the time this episode airs, but my band Idle Ray is going out for a little bit, and we've been pretty active. We're doing a few shows supporting Proto-Martyr in the middle of the United States. Oh, very cool. And then... yeah, great band, great Michigan band, and um, old friends, and always been really, really supportive of me and my projects. I think this will be the sixth tour I'm doing in some iteration with Proto Martyr. Um, so your band is Idle Ray? Idle Ray is the band I'm working on right now, yeah. And we're doing some more stuff in the fall and playing around in Michigan and going out to the East Coast uh, in October on our first kind of bigger you know, East Coast venture. Playing drums for a band called Tyvek right now, and this is... Beautiful news for me. We got asked today if we would play at a festival in Hamtramck, the Labor Day Music Festival, right before the Dead Milkmen playing their first show in the Detroit area in over 30 years. Oh. Philadelphia's own. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Zipperhead. And one of the Detroit Tigers was a giant Dead Milkmen fan. <laughs> I can't remember. That's why. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's really weird, but that's really cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Tyvek. Wayne County Roads is an all-time Michigan classic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I, I've been playing drums in Tyvek for a while, and I record Tyvek records going back for the, like the last decade. And I've been friends with Kevin for 20-some years. But it's interesting because I still don't feel like I'm in the band. I feel like I'm still a fan of the band, and I get to participate in the band in the way that everyone else who likes it, even though I'm... <laughs> creating some of the music it's a really weird band but it's like oh i I just appreciate this music so much that i kind of forget that i'm part of it do you know what i mean it's cool yeah that's a unique but not unheard of experience the people that join on to projects that they already admired it's great that you can continue to be a fan while playing in the band (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure it's not identical to like uh whoever's in the four tops these days feels but maybe something (laughs) along along those lines (laughs) Well, very cool. Yeah, thank you for taking a little bit of time out of your very busy schedule to bring Jackie DeShannon onto our radar and our listeners as well. We'll kind of wrap up here. I did feel it was worth mentioning that while she is underappreciated and deserves a lot more recognition, she did. In 2010, she was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. So she has gotten some recognition for her skills as a songwriter. But as far as I can tell, uh, there's a, there, there are some instances of her, like there was the show American Dreams and Liz Fair uh, 
played her on that show apparently in, in the mid two thousands, but I don't think she's ever gotten like a, a, you know, I don't know of any good documentary on her or biopic. Yeah. I don't think, no, I, I certainly don't think they're, we're at that level with Jackie the Shannon where there's a biopic, but a documentary, it seems like, you know, there's documentaries on so many that it can't be too far yeah. from happening. Yeah. So it, you know, someone's, do to pick up that torch and carry on the or, or bring Jackie DeShannon to wider fame. But we're, we've just you know kind of planted the seeds out there a little bit. We just started nudging that boulder, getting it moving. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and she is still with us, as we mentioned. She will be turning eighty-two on August twenty-first, coming up not too long after this airs. So she may still have some more music for us yet. Yeah, but we can only hope. For, but for now, we we have plenty of records of hers that you you as you said, some of them like this one, very cheap. Others not so much anymore. But I bet you a lot of them are still undervalued. And you go into the right store and look through her section, you might get lucky. Oh yeah, they're out there. Well, I think that we can get out of here, Fred. It sounds like you wanted to do the Leonard Cohen cover to exit today yeah that's the last one that's the last song and that is bird on the wire which we actually talked about that song a little bit on our chris christopherson episode because apparently he wants the opening lines of that on his headstone oh wow i i gotta say honestly i i'm not a huge fan of the leonard cohen song i don't love this tune but I thought it should be included in the episode because it's it's notable. It's interesting. She does weird things with the song. It's uh, it's a weird closer for the album. It's just another curio about this record that's so good. Even if it's not my favorite track on the record, I, I'm glad she included it, and I thought we should include it today. And also the uh, inspiration for the title of the album. So makes sense. Oh, yeah. To be free. There it is. And with that, I think we can wrap up this episode of I'd Buy That for a Dollar. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can always check out the Patreon over at patreon.com slash I'd Buy That Podcast. Lots of bonus content there. We're over 30 bonus episodes at this point at the $5 tier. So plenty more that you can check out at patreon.com slash I'd Buy That Podcast. With that... We're going to sign off. This is co-host Peter Cook. This has been I'd Buy That for a Dollar. This is co-host. I already forgot my fake name, my original fake name. Mart, was it Marty Benton? Yeah, Mark Benton. Mark Benton. <laughs> this is Mark Benton. Very good, Jeremy. Oops. <laughs> and I'm your co-host, Sean Hartman. And I'm Fred Thomas. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on, Fred. Like a bird on the wire Like a drum in a midnight choir I have tried in my way to be free Like a word on a hook like a knight 
from some old-fashioned book I have saved all my ribbons for It was never